Chapter Fifteen, Part Two of South. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. South, the story of Shackleton's last expedition, nineteen fourteen to nineteen seventeen, by Sir Ernest Shackleton. Chapter Five, laying the depots. Part Two. February twenty-seven, Sunday. Wind continued with fury the whole night. Expecting every minute to have the tent blown off of us, up five o'clock found it so thick one could not get out of the tent. We are still very weak, but think we can do the twelve miles to our comrades in one long march. If only it would clear up for just one day, we would not mind. This is the longest continuous blizzard I have ever been in. We have not had a travelling day for eleven days, and the amount of snow that has fallen is astonishing. Later. Had a meal ten thirty and decided to get under way in spite of the wind and snow. Under way twelve o'clock. We have three weeks' food on sledge, about a hundred and sixty pounds, and one week's dog food, fifty pounds. The whole weight, all told, about six hundred pounds, and also taking an extra sledge to bring back Captain Mackintosh. To our surprise, we could not shift the sledges. After half an hour, we got about ten yards. We turned the sledge up and scraped runners. It went a little better after. I am afraid our weakness is much more than we think. Hayward is in rather a bad way about his knees, which are giving him trouble and are very painful. We will give him a good massage when we camp. The dogs have lost all heart in pulling. They seem to think that going south again is no good to them. They seem to just jog along, and one cannot do more. I don't suppose our pace is more than one half or three quarters of a mile per hour. The surface is rotten, snow up to one's knees, and what with wind and drift, a very bad outlook. Lunched about four thirty, carried on until eleven twenty when we camped. It was very dark making our dinner, but soon got through the process. Then Richard spent an hour or so in rubbing Hayward with methylated spirits, which did him a world of good. If he were to break up now, I should not know what to do. Turned in about one thirty. It is calm now, but overcast with light falling snow. February twenty-eight, Monday, up at six o'clock. Can just see a little skyline. Under way at nine o'clock. The reason of delay had to mend finisco, which are in a very dilapidated condition. I got my feet badly frostbitten yesterday. About eleven o'clock came on to snow. Everything overcast. We ought to reach our poor boys in three or four hours. But fate wills otherwise, as it came on again to blizzard force about eleven forty-five. Camped at noon. I think the party must be within a very short distance, but we cannot go on as we might pass them, and as we have not got any position to go on except compass. Later, kept on blizzarding all afternoon and night. February twenty-nine, Tuesday. Up at five o'clock. Still very thick. It cleared up a little to the south about eight o'clock when Richard sighted something black to the north of us, but could not see properly what it was. After looking round, sighted camp to the south, so we got under way as soon as possible. Got up to camp about twelve forty-five when Wild came out to meet us. We gave him a cheer as we fully expected to find all down. He said he had taken a little exercise every day. They had not any food left. The skipper then came out of the tent, very weak and as much as he could do to walk. He said, "I want to thank you for saving our lives. 
I told Wilde to go and give them a feed, and not to eat too much at first in case of reaction, as I am going to get under way as soon as they have had a feed. So we had lunch, and the skipper went ahead to get some exercise, and after an hour's digging out got everything ready for leaving. When we lifted Smith we found he was in a great hole which he had melted through. This party had been in one camp for twelve days. We got under way and picked the skipper up. He had fallen down, too weak to walk. We put him on the sledge we had brought out, and we camped about eight o'clock. I think we did about three miles, rather good with two men on the sledges and Hayward in a very bad way. I don't think there has been a party, either north or south, in such straits, three men down and three of us very weak, but the dogs seem to have a new life since we turned north. I think they realize they are homeward bound. I am glad we kept them, even when we were starving. I knew they would have to come in at the finish. We now have to look forward to southerly winds for help, which I think we shall get at this time of year. Let us hope the temperature will keep up, as our sleeping bags are wet through and worn out, and all our clothes full of holes, and Finisco in a dilapidated condition. In fact, one would not be out on a cold day in civilization with the rotten clothes we have on. Turned in eleven o'clock, wet through, but in a better frame of mind. Hope to try and reach the depot to-morrow, even if we have to march overtime. March 1, Wednesday. Turned out usual time, a good south wind, but worse luck, heavy drift. Set sail, put the skipper on rear sledge. The temperature has gone down, and it is very cold. Bluff in sight. We are making good progress, doing a good mileage before lunch. After lunch, a little stronger wind. Hayward still hanging on to sledge. Skipper fell off twice. Reached depot 5.45. When camping, found that we had dropped our tent poles, so Richards went back a little way and spotted them through the binoculars about half a mile off, and brought them back. Hayward and I were very cold by that time, the drift very bad. Moral, see everything properly secured. We soon had our tent up, cooked our dinner in the dark, and turned in about twelve o'clock. March 2nd, Thursday. Up as usual. Strong southwest wind with heavy drift. Took two weeks' provisions from the depot. I think that will last us through, as there is another depot about fifty miles north from here. I am taking the outside course on account of the crevasses, and one cannot take too many chances with two men on sledges and one crippled. Underway about ten o'clock, lunched noon in a heavy drift, took an hour to get the tents up, etc., the wind being so heavy. Found sledges buried under snow after lunch, took some time to get under way. Wind and drift very heavy, set half sail on the first sledge, and under way about three-thirty. The going is perfect, sometimes sledges overtaking us. Carried on until eight o'clock, doing an excellent journey for the day, distance about eleven or twelve miles. Gives one a bit of heart to carry on like this, only hope we can do this all the way. Had to cook our meals in the dark, but still we did not mind. Turned in about eleven o'clock, pleased with ourselves, although we were wet through with snow, as it got through all the holes in our clothes, and the sleeping bags are worse than awful. March 3, Friday. Up the usual time. It has been blowing a raging blizzard all night. Found, to our disgust, utterly impossible to carry on. Another few hours of agony in these rotten bags. Later. Blizzard much heavier. Amused myself mending finisco and burberries, mitts and socks. Had the primus while this operation was in force. 
hoping for a fine day to-morrow. March 4, Saturday. Up 5.20. Still blizzarding, but have decided to get under way as we will have to try and travel through everything, as Hayward is getting worse, and one doesn't know who is the next. No mistake, it is scurvy, and the only possible cure is fresh food. I sincerely hope the ship is in. If not, we shall get over the hills by Castle Rock, which is rather difficult, and will delay another couple of days. Smith is still cheerful. He has hardly moved for weeks, and he has to have everything done for him. Got under way 9.35. It took some two hours to dig out dogs and sledges, as they were completely buried. It is the same every morning now. Set sail, going along pretty fair. Hayward gets on sledge now and again. Lunched as usual. Sledges got buried again at lunchtime. It takes some time to camp now, and in this drift it is awful. In the afternoon wind eased a bit, and drift went down. Found it very hard pulling with a third man on sledge, as Hayward has been on all the afternoon. Wind veered two points to south, so we had a fair wind. An hour before we camped, Erebus and Terror showing up, a welcome sight. Only hope wind will continue. Drift is worse thing to contend with as it gets into our clothes, which are wet through now. Camped eight o'clock. Cooked in the dark, and turned in our wet sleeping bags about ten o'clock. Distance about eight or nine miles. March 5, Sunday. Turned out 6.15. Overslept a little. Very tired after yesterday. Sun shining brightly and no wind. It seemed strange last night, no flapping of tent in one's ears. About 8.30 came in to drift again. Underway 9.20, both sails set. Sledge going hard, especially in soft places. If Hayward had not broken down, we should not feel the weight so much. Lunch 12.45. Underway at 3. Wind and drift very heavy. A good job it is blowing some, or else we should have to relay. All land obscured. Distance about ten or eleven miles, a very good performance. Camped seven-ten in the dark. Patience not in the best of trim. I hope to get in, bar accidents, in four days. March 6, Monday. Underway nine-twenty. Picked up thirty-two-mile depot, eleven o'clock. Going with a fair wind in the forenoon, which eased somewhat after lunch, and so caused very heavy work in pulling. It seems to me we shall have to depot someone if the wind eases at all. Distance during day about eight miles. March 7, Tuesday. Underway nine o'clock. Although we turn out at five, it seems a long time to get underway. There is double as much work to do now with our invalids. This is the calmest day we have had for weeks. The sun is shining and all land in sight. It is very hard going. Had a little breeze about eleven o'clock, set sail, but work still very, very heavy. Hayward and Skipper, going on ahead with sticks, very slow pace, but it will buck them up and do them good. If one could only get some fresh food! About eleven o'clock, decided to camp and overhaul sledges and depot all gear except what is actually required. Underway again at two, but surface being so sticky did not make any difference. After a consultation with the skipper, decided to stay behind in a tent with three weeks' provisions, whilst we push on with Smith and Hayward. It seems hard, only about thirty miles away, and yet cannot get any assistance. Our gear is absolutely rotten, no sleep last night, shivering all night in wet bags. I wonder what will be the outcome of it all after our struggle. Trust in Providence. 
Distance about three and a half miles. March 8, Wednesday. Underway 9.20. Wished the skipper good-bye. Took Smith and Hayward on. Had a fair wind. Going pretty good. Hope to arrive in Hut Point in four days. Lunched at number two depot. Distance about four and a half miles. Underway as usual after lunch. Head wind. Going very heavy. Carried on until six thirty. Distance about eight or nine miles. March nine, Thursday. Had a very bad night. Cold intense. Temperature down to negative twenty nine degrees all night. At four a.m. Spencer Smith called out that he was feeling queer. Wilde spoke to him. Then, at 5.45, Richard suddenly said, I think he is gone. Poor Smith! For forty days in pain he had been dragged on the sledge, but never grumbled or complained. He had a strenuous time in his wet bag, and the jolting of the sledge on a very weak heart was not too good for him. Sometimes, when we lifted him on the sledge, he would nearly faint, but during the whole time he never complained. Wilde looked after him from the start. We buried him in his bag at nine o'clock on the following position. Arab, 184 degrees. Ob's Hill, 149 degrees. We made a cross of bamboos, and built a mound and a carn with particulars. After that got under way with Hayward on sledge. Found going very hard, as we had a northerly wind in our faces, with a temperature below twenty degrees. What with frostbites, etc., we are all suffering. Even the dogs seem like giving in. They do not seem to take any interest in their work. We have been out much too long, and nothing ahead to cheer us up but cold, cheerless hut. We did about two and a half miles in the forenoon, Hayward toddling ahead every time we had a spell. During lunch the wind veered to the south with drift, just right to set sail. We carried on with Hayward on sledge, and camped in the dark about eight o'clock. Turned in at ten, weary, worn, and sad hoping to reach depot to-morrow. March 10, Friday. Turned out as usual. Beam wind, going pretty fair, very cold. Came into very soft snow about three. Arrived at safety camp five o'clock. Got to edge of ice barrier. Found passage over in a bay full of seals. Dogs got very excited. Had a job to keep them away. By the glass it looks clear to Cape Armitage, which is four and a half miles away. Arrived there eight o'clock, very dark and a bad light. Found open water. Turned to climb slopes against a strong northeasterly breeze with drift. Found a place about a mile away, but we were so done up that it took until eleven-thirty to get gear up. This slope was about one hundred and fifty yards up, and every three paces we had to stop and get breath. Eventually camped and turned in about two o'clock. I think this is the worst day I ever spent what with the disappointment of not getting around the point, and the long day and the thought of getting Hayward over the slopes, it is not very entertaining for sleep. March 11, Saturday. Up at seven o'clock. Took binoculars and went over the slope to look around the cape. To my surprise found the open water and pack at the cape only extended for about a mile. Came down and gave the boys the good news. I think it would take another two hard days to get over the hills, and we are too weak to do much of that, as I am afraid of another collapsing. Richards and Wilde climbed up to look at the back of the bay and found the ice secure. Got under way ten-thirty, went round the cape and found ice, very slushy, but continued on. 
No turning now, got into hard eyes shortly after, arriving eventually at Hut Point about three o'clock. It seems strange after our adventures to arrive back at the old hut. This place has been standing ever since we built it in 1901, and has been the starting point of a few expeditions since. When we were coming down the bay, I could fancy the discovery there when Scott arrived from his farthest south in 1902, the ship decorated rainbow fashion, and Lieutenant Armitage giving out the news that Captain Scott had got to 82 degrees, 17 minutes south. We went wild that day. But now our homecoming is quite different. Hut half full of snow through a window being left open and drift getting in, but we soon got it shipshape and hayward in. I had the fire going and plenty of vegetables on, as there was a fair supply of dried vegetables. Then, after we had a feed, Richards and Wilde went down the bay and killed a couple of seals. I gave a good menu of seal meat at night, and we turned in about eleven o'clock, full, too full, in fact. As there is no news here of the ship, and we cannot see her, we surmise she has gone down with all hands. I cannot see there is any chance of her being afloat, or she would be here. I don't know how the skipper will take it. March 12, Sunday. Heard groans proceeding from the sleeping bags all night, all hands suffering from overeating. Hayward not very well. Turned out eight o'clock. Good breakfast, porridge, seal, vegetables, and coffee, more like a banquet to us. After breakfast, Richards and Wilde killed a couple of seals, whilst I made the hut a bit comfy. Hayward can hardly move all of us in a very bad state, but we must keep up exercise. My ankles and knees badly swollen, gums prominent. Wild, very black around joints, and gums very black. Richard's about the best off. After digging hut out I prepared food, which I think will keep the scurvy down. The dogs have lost their lassitude, and are quite frisky, except Oscar, who is suffering from overfeeding. After a strenuous day's work, turned in ten o'clock. March 13, Monday. Turned out seven o'clock. Carried on much the same as yesterday, bringing in seal blubber and meat. Preparing for departure tomorrow. Hope everyone will be all right. Made new dog harness and prepared sledges. In afternoon cooked sufficient seal meat for our journey out and back, and same for dogs. Turned in ten o'clock, feeling much better. March 14, Tuesday. A beautiful day. Underway after lunch. One would think, looking at our party, that we were the most ragged lot one could meet in a day's march, all our clothes past mending, our faces as black as niggers's, a sort of crowd one would run away from. Going pretty good. As soon as we rounded Cape Armitage, a dead headwind with a temperature of negative eighteen degrees Fahrenheit, so we are not in for a pleasant time. Arrived at safety camp, six o'clock, turned in eight-thirty, after getting everything ready. March 15, Wednesday. Underway as usual. Nice calm day. Had a very cold night, temperature going down to negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Going along at a rattling good rate, in spite of our swollen limbs, we did about 15 miles. Very cold when we camped, temperature negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Turned in 9 o'clock. March 12, Thursday. Up before the sun, 4.45 a.m. Had a very cold night, not much sleep. Underway early, going good. Passed Smith's grave, 10.45 a.m., and had lunch at depot. Saw Skipper's camp just after, and looking through glass found him outside the tent, 
much to the joy of all hands, as we expected him to be down. Picked him up 4.15 p.m. Broke the news of Smith's death and no ship. I gave him the date of the 17th to look out for our returning, so he had a surprise. We struck his camp and went north for about a mile and camped. We gave the skipper a banquet of seal, vegetables, and blackcurrant jam, the feed of his life. He seems in a bad way. I hope to get him in in three days, and I think fresh food will improve him. We turned in eight o'clock. Distance done during day, sixteen miles. March 17, Friday. Up at five o'clock. Underway, eight a.m. Skipper feeling much better after feeding him up. Lunched a few yards past Smith's grave. Had a good afternoon, going fair. Distance about sixteen miles. Very cold night. Temperature, negative thirty degrees Fahrenheit. What with wet bags and clothes rotten. March 18, Saturday. Turned out at five o'clock. Had rather a cold night. Temperature, negative twenty-nine degrees Fahrenheit. Surface very good. The skipper walked for a little way, which did him good. Lunched as usual. Pace good. After lunch going good. Arrived at safety camp, 4.10 p.m. To our delight found the sea ice in the same condition and arrived at hut point, 7 o'clock. Found Hayward still about the same. Set to, made a good dinner, and all hands seem in the best of spirits. Now we have arrived and got the party in. It remains to themselves to get better. Plenty of exercise and fresh food ought to do miracles. We have been out 160 days and done a distance of 1,561 miles, a good record. I think the irony of fate was poor Smith going under a day before we got in. I think we shall all soon be well. Turned in 10.30 p.m. Before turning in, Skipper shook us by the hand with great emotion, thanking us for saving his life. Richards, summarizing the work of the parties, says that the journeys made between September 1 and March 18, a period of 160 days, totaled 1,561 miles. The main journey, from Hut Point to Mount Hope and return, was 830 miles. The equipment, he adds, was old at the commencement of the season, and this told severely at the later stages of the journey. Three Primus lamps gave out on the journeys, and the old tent brought back by one of the last parties showed rents several feet in length. This hampered the traveling in the long blizzards. Finisco were also in pieces at the end, and time had frequently to be lost through repairs to clothing becoming imperative. This account would not be complete without some mention of the unselfish service rendered to Wilde to his two ill tent-mates from the time he remained behind the long blizzard till the death of Spencer Smith. He had two helpless men to attend to, and despite his own condition he was ever ready, night or day, to minister to their wants. This, in a temperature of negative thirty degrees Fahrenheit, at times, was no light task. Without the aid of our faithful friends, Oscar, Kahn, Gunner, and Towser, the party could never have arrived back. These dogs, from November 5, accompanying the sledging parties, and although the pace was often very slow, they adapted themselves well to it. Their endurance was fine. For three whole days at one time they had not a scrap of food, and this after a period on short rations. Though they were feeble towards the end of the trip, their condition usually was good, and those who returned with them will ever remember the remarkable service they rendered. 
The first indication of anything wrong with the general health of the party occurred about latitude 82 degrees 30 minutes south, when Spencer Smith complained of stiffness in the legs and discoloration. He attributed this to holes in his windproof clothing. At latitude 83 degrees south, when he gave way, it was thought that the rest would do him good. About the end of January, Captain Mackintosh showed very serious signs of lameness. At this time his party had been absent from Hut Point, and consequently from fresh food, about three months. On the journey back, Spencer Smith gradually became weaker, and for some time before the end was in a very weak condition indeed. Captain Mackintosh, by great efforts, managed to keep his feet until the long blizzard was encountered. Here it was that Hayward was first found to be affected with the scurvy, his knees being stiff. In his case the disease took him off his feet very suddenly, apparently causing the muscles of his legs to contract till they could be straightened hardly more than a right angle. He had slight touches in the joints of the arms. In the cases of Joyce, Wilde, and Richards, joints became stiff and black in the rear, but generally weakness was the worst symptom experienced. Captain Mackintosh's legs looked the worst in the party. The five men who were now at Hut Point found quickly that some of the winter months must be spent there. They had no news of the ship, and were justified in assuming that she had not returned to the Sound, since if she had, some message would have been awaiting them at Hut Point, if not farther south. The sea ice had broken and gone north within a mile of the point, and the party must wait until the new ice became firm as far as Cape Evans. Plenty of seal meat was available, as well as dried vegetables, and the fresh food improved the condition of the patients very rapidly. Richards massaged the swollen joints and found that this treatment helped a good deal. Before the end of March, Mackintosh and Hayward, the worst sufferers, were able to take exercise. By the second week of April, Mackintosh was free of pain, though the backs of his legs were still discolored. A tally of the stores at the hut showed that on a reasonable allowance the supply would last until the middle of June. Richards and Wilde killed many seals, so that there was no scarcity of meat and blubber. A few penguins were also secured. The sole means of cooking food and heating the hut was an improvised stove of brick covered with two sheets of iron. This had been used by the former expedition. The stove emitted dense smoke and often made the hut very uncomfortable, while at the same time it covered the men in all their gear with clinging and penetrating soot. Cleanliness was out of the question, and this increased the desire of the men to get across to Cape Evans. During April the sea froze in calm weather, but winds took the ice out again. On April 23rd Joyce walked four miles to the north, partly on young ice two inches thick, and he thought then that the party might be able to reach Cape Evans within a few days. But a prolonged blizzard took the ice right out up to the point, so that the open water extended at the end of April right up to the foot of Vinnie's Hill. Then came a spell of calm weather, and during the first week of May the sea ice formed rapidly. The men made several short trips over it to the north. The sun had disappeared below the horizon in the middle of April, and would not appear again for over four months. The disaster that followed is described by both Richards and Joyce. And now a most regrettable incident occurred, wrote Richards. On the morning of May 8, before breakfast, Captain Mackintosh asked Joyce what he thought of his going to Cape Evans with Hayward. Captain Mackintosh considered the ice quite safe, 
and the fine morning no doubt tempted him to exchange the quarters at the hut for the greater comfort and better food at cape evans mackintosh naturally would be anxious to know if the men at cape evans were well and had had any news of the ship he was strongly urged at the time not to take the risk as it was pointed out that the ice although firm was very young and that a blizzard was almost sure to take part of it out to sea however at about one p m with the weather apparently changing for the worse mackintosh and hayward left after promising to turn back if the weather grew worse the last sight the watching party on the hill gained of them was when they were about a mile away close to shore but apparently making straight for cape evans at three p m a moderate blizzard was raging which later increased in fury and the party in the hut had many misgivings for the safety of the absent men on may ten the first day possible the three men left behind walked over new ice to the north to try and discover some traces as to the fate of the others the footmarks were seen clearly enough raised up on the ice and the track was followed for about two miles in a direction leading to cape evans here they ended abruptly and in the dim light a wide stretch of water very lightly covered with ice was seen as far as the eye could reach it was at once evident that part of the ice over which they had travelled had gone out to sea the whole party had intended if the weather had held good to have attempted the passage across with the full moon about may sixteen on the date on which mackintosh and hayward left it was impossible that a sledge should travel the distance over the sea ice owing to the sticky nature of the surface hence their decision to go alone and leave the others to follow with the sledge and equipment when the surface should improve that they had actually been lost was learned only on july fifteen on which date the party from hut point arrived at cape evans the entry in joyce's diary shows that he had had very strong forebodings of disaster when mackintosh and hayward left he warned them not to go as the ice was still thin and the weather was uncertain mackintosh seems to have believed that he and hayward travelling light could get across to cape evans quickly before the weather broke and if the blizzard had come two or three hours later they probably would have been safe the two men carried no sleeping bags and only a small meal of chocolate and seal meat the weather during june was persistently bad no move had been possible on may sixteen the sea ice being out and joyce decided to wait until the next full moon when this came the weather was boisterous and so it was not until the full moon of july that the journey to cape evans was made during june and july seals got very scarce and the supply of blubber ran short meals consisted of little but seal meat and porridge the small stock of salt was exhausted but the men procured two and a half pounds by boiling down snow taken from the bottom layer next to the sea ice the dogs recovered condition rapidly and did some hunting on their own account among the seals the party started for cape evans on july fifteen they had expected to take advantage of the full moon but by a strange chance they had chosen the period of an eclipse and the moon was shadowed most of the time they were crossing the sea ice the ice was firm and the three men reached cape evans without difficulty they found stevens cope gaze and jack at the cape evans hut and learned that nothing had been seen of captain mackintosh and hayward the conclusion that these men had perished was accepted reluctantly the party at the base consisted now of stevens cope joyce richards gaze wilde and jack the men settled down now to wait for relief 
When opportunity offered, Joyce led search parties to look for the bodies or any trace of the missing men, and he subsequently handed me the following report. I beg to report that the following steps were taken to try and discover the bodies of Captain McIntosh and Mr. Hayward. After our parties returned to the hut at Cape Evans, July 15, 1916, it was learned that Captain McIntosh and Mr. Hayward had not arrived, and being aware of the conditions under which they were last seen, all the members of the wintering party were absolutely convinced that these two men were totally lost and dead, that they could not have lived for more than a few hours at the outside in the blizzard that they had encountered, they being entirely unprovided with equipment of any sort. There was the barest chance that after the return of the sun some trace of their bodies might be found, so during the spring, that is, August and September, 1916, and in the summer, December and January, 1916, to 1917, the following searches were carried out. 1. Wild and I thoroughly searched Inaccessible Island at the end of August, 1916. 2. Various parties in September searched along the shore to the vicinity of Turk's Head. 3. In company with Messrs. Wild and Gaze, I started from Hut Point, December 31, 1916, at 8 a.m., and a course was steered inshore as close as possible to the cliffs in order to search for any possible means of ascent. At a distance of half a mile from Hut Point, we passed a snow slope, which I had already ascended in June 1916. Three and a half miles farther on was another snow slope, which ended in Blue Ice Glacier Slope, which we found impossible to climb, snow slope being formed by heavy winter snowfall. These were the only two places accessible. Distance on this day, 10 miles, 1,710 yards, covered. On January 1, search was continued round the south side of Glacier Tongue from the base towards the seaward end. There was much heavy pressure. It was impossible to reach the summit owing to the wide crack. Distance covered, 4 miles, 100 yards. On January 2, thick weather caused party to lay up. On 3rd, Glacier was further examined, and several slopes formed by snow led to the top of Glacier, but crevasses between slope and the tongue prevented crossing. The party then proceeded round the tongue to Tent Island, which was also searched, a complete tour of the island being made. It was decided to make for Cape Evans, as thick weather was approaching. We arrived at 8 p.m. Distance, 8 miles, 490 yards. I remain, etc., Ernest E. Joyce to Sir Ernest Shackleton, CVO, Commander, I.T.A.E. In September, Richards was forced to lay up at the hut, owing to a strained heart, due presumably to stress of work on the sledging journeys. Early in October, a party consisting of Joyce, Gaze, and Wilde spent several days at Cape Royds, where they skinned specimens. They sledged stores back to Cape Evans in case it should be found necessary to remain there over another winter. In September, Joyce, Gaze, and Wilde went out to Spencer Smith's grave with a wooden cross, which they erected firmly. Relief arrived on January 10, 1917, but it is necessary now to turn back to the events of May, 1915, when the Aurora was driven from her moorings off Cape Evans. End of chapter 15, part 2